Well, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, somebody who worships regularly and you're in conversation with a friend uh, and you let it be known, I hope, I hope you do. If you're a follower of, of Jesus, I, I hope you let it be known that you're a follower of Jesus to the people around you. Like right in the beginning of your relationships with them. Um, so God can use that in the way that you interact. But, but if you do that and, and, and you're living here in the Bay Area, I, I know that sometimes this is, this is how it goes. Oh, you're a Christian. You're a, you're a churchgoer. Which denomination are you a part of, right? Or a lot of times people don't even know the word denomination. So they say, which church are you a part of? But that's what they mean, you know. And, and it would be really easy you know, if you were Baptist or Presbyterian or something like that, because you would say it and they would go, oh, yeah, I've heard of that, right? But then being a part of this church, you have to say Evangelical Free Church of America, which most of you don't even know we're part of that denomination, right? So this is news to you right now, that we're not a non-denominational church. We're actually part of a group of churches uh, and that's the name. And the hardest part is it has that word evangelical right in the front of it, which comes from a long time ago, but now has become such a politicized term that when you, you just, you, you can't even get that word out before you can see the change in the person's face, right? Because um, people know, people know when they think about all the different churches, I mean, whether they're Christians or not Christians, people know that Christians should be one, Right? Like, there's just something that they intuit about that, that we should be on the same page with everything. We should be part of the same group. Jesus even talked about this. He said, as he prayed, he prayed for us. Do you know that he prayed, Jesus in John 17, he prayed for the, his disciples, and then he prayed for all that would believe through them, which is, that's us. And what did he pray for us? That we would be one. He prayed that we would be one. And then we see Paul himself saying things like we read this morning already in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then in Ephesians 4, 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And, and those two verses kind of bring into, into scope the reality that, that maybe we won't always get along this side of heaven, uh, which is a hard thing for us to accept and to, to live into. But the suggestion that Paul has in those verses is that we pursue it as much as we're capable, but we may not experience it perfectly in this life. And, and I'm, I'm glad that he acknowledges that reality because probably most of us have experienced some sort of conflict or disagreement with our brothers and sisters in the Lord that, that we think we, we might actually uh, wish that we could have gotten along with in that sort of heavenly perfect way. Well, the passage that we're looking at today in Acts 15 is about that. So would you open to Acts 15 verses 36 through 41? And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one to you. Please don't be shy about uh, getting a Bible. We love to hand out Bibles. We love for you to take Bibles home. Unless you've already got a bunch of Bibles of ours at home, then you maybe, you know, try to leave the one here. One time we were in somebody's house doing some cleaning, and there were like 15 Bibles from church. 
So just every time, they would just take the Bible and bring it home, which it's not the worst thing in the world. But um, we'd love for you to have access to the Bible. Uh, take, it, take it home with you if you need it. In Acts 15, um, we're coming off the heels of four weeks on the first part of Acts 15. And we've, we've just been really digging into this community, the early church, and they, they were dealing with some conflict and they remembered the grace of God on them. Remember the vertical grace? That was the first week. And then they remembered that, that out of that understanding of God's grace towards us and really accepting that, receiving that, aligning our own thinking about ourselves with God's thinking about us in Jesus, the grace of God. So uh, when we get that, and then the grace goes from us out to the people around us horizontally. So within the community of faith, we talked about the grace that we are called upon to extend to one another, even when it's difficult and we have to really rely on the Holy Spirit because we don't have it in our own strength to do it. Those are some of the sweetest moments when we have to depend on God for that which we don't have, which might be the grace towards others. Then we talked about um, coming up with this Latin phrase, this modus vivendi, this way of living. And what they do in the book of Acts is they figure out how to get along in the midst of this difference that they're living. That's called a modus vivendi, and it's something that we, we have to do with our brothers and sisters, within our families, within our home groups. We have to do it all throughout. We have to continually come up with a way of, of living together. And then this last week, we talked about the elements of communication that are so important that can lead to that way of getting along together. And we're going to actually dig into that a little bit more uh, in, the next, in the next weeks, but um, but we got kind of practical, hopefully, last week, and, and that was helpful to you on how do we communicate in such a way that we can lead to a way of getting along. Well, well, well you know, you would, you would like to hope that with all that, then it should be good, right? We should always get along and come up to the same conclusion in every circumstance. And it's almost like Luke, who wrote the, the book of Acts, understood that we needed a kind of reminder of the reality of how life is going to be in this world. We're not going to have all everything always coming out perfectly because then he tells this story about Paul and Barnabas who end up having a sharp disagreement, it's called. And so what I want to do is, is read this and, and think about this disagreement they have and try to think about it rightly and, and, and kind of dig into it. And then I want to talk about how we uh, walk through conflict together as a community of faith, because it's going to happen. Um, so look with me here in verse 36. After some days, so they've gone back to Antioch, they're hanging out there. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And we'll talk about what happened there in a minute. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace. There's that word again that just seems to sort of appear everywhere in this chapter and seems to be like this coding over the whole thing. Um, but having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, 
And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. What I want to suggest as we start off here is that this was a train wreck that was just waiting to happen. When you take these three and you put them together, it was like a train wreck waiting to happen. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, you got Paul, right? He's a missionary. He's a visionary. He's a go-getter. And it seems like everywhere he goes, he ends up in these incredible scrapes. By that, I mean like dramatic circumstances. So, you know, he's, he, he'll say later on that he'd been, you know, five times he'd received 40 lashes. 40 lashes were supposed to kill a person. So five times he had received you know, 40 lashes, almost, usually they, did, they didn't give the last one, so you wouldn't die, was the theory. Um, he'd been, he had been beaten with rods three times. He had been shipwrecked three times. He had been stoned once, and usually that only ever happened once, because the end of stoning was death. But somehow he miraculously re- re- survived a group of people throwing rocks at him, thinking that he was dead, but he wasn't actually, and so he revived and, and, and kept on going. And then he talks about robbers and all the haters in his life, and he talks about hunger and thirst and being left, exposure. Um, so, you know, when Paul goes and does stuff, it's not usually like a gentle vacation. You know, I mean, bad stuff happens because he's usually sort of uh, meeting the enemy, you know, head on. And, 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 and so that's, that's who he is. Then you've got Mark. And what do we know about Mark at this time? Uh, not a lot. If we put together later stuff, we can kind of come up. I would say our picture of Mark the, he, right, right here is he's kind of a timid novice. Okay, so he's new. He's young. And his demeanor um, skews towards timidity. So back in chapter 13, when, I mean, Paul was having a tangle with a demon which is like par for the course for Paul, right? And it was getting pretty gnarly, um, the back and forth. And, and Mark at that point was, I mean, you're reading between the lines, he's like, I'm out, you know, peace out. I'm going back to Cyprus and, we're, you know, and, and, and I'm not going with you the rest of the way. Uh, and then you put that together with the, the picture that we have seemingly in the gospel arc. So this is the same Mark. This is a little harbinger of what's to come. This is the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, okay? This timid novice that we're encountering encountering here. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, and this was something that they did, they would sometimes put a little little story that would sort of um, show that the author was there, but like, you know, the author, especially when talking about Jesus, they want to make sure that they didn't elevate themselves in any way and make themselves... You know, so this is what Mark writes. So when Jesus is being arrested, at the end of the arrest of Jesus, there's this little couple of verses, and let me put them up there for you. It says, a young man followed him, Jesus, with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they, the soldiers who were coming for Jesus, seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So Mark is a runner. That's what we know about Mark. Um, And the picture of him trotting off into the night naked, right, rather than be associated with Jesus, right? So so we we get a little bit of the sense of who who he is. So so you got Paul, and then you got Mark, and now you got bring Barnabas into the mix. The name, Barnabas' name 
It means son of encouragement, okay? You can just see the train wreck materializing. And, and so it was actually Barnabas who brought Paul, because Paul was on the enemy side, right? He was the one, um, you know, standing there when Stephen was stoned. He was sort of in charge of the stoning of this Christian. Um, and so, you know, it kind of took the, the church a while to warm up to Paul, right? Because he had been against them, threatening them, killing them. And now he's come to know Jesus and he's turned around. And they're like, they wanted to, you know, well, it was Barnabas who really brought Paul into the fold. He, he sort of stood up for him, said, this is a good guy. We need him. He's on our team. Let's get him in the mix. So Barnabas is, the, is that kind of a person. He's an encourager. And it, it's also true, and I don't know how much this plays into it, but he's Mark's cousin, actually. So Barnabas and Mark's cousin. So that gives maybe even a little bit more um, reason for him to be wanting to Um, encourage Mark in his circumstance. So the question that rises is, should we bring Mark on this, parentheses, very dangerous, likely very dangerous journey? Should we bring Mark on this journey? And and it's it's a fair question, right? And they disagreed. And we can speculate as to what their points were. I mean, you can imagine Paul, he wanted to accomplish the mission. He may have been legitimately concerned about his own and other people's safety who were on the trip with them. Because if you have somebody who is in the moment of intensity going to crack, you know, then that can cause problems for everybody else on the team. So you need somebody who's, who's going to be able to handle the stress and the strain. Um, so before we go judging Paul for his position, we need to consider what kinds of scrapes Paul was continually getting into and how he might need somebody. In fact, one commentator uh, quotes from Proverbs 25 to justify Paul's thinking, which says, trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. So there is this element where if you're going to go on a really hard journey, you want to make sure the people who are coming are ready for it. And then you can think about uh, Barnabas' side, right? He's, he's the consummate encourager He's always raising people up. He's wanting to see them grow into who God meant them to be. And so he's saying, no, you know, Mark can do it, right? Come on, let's give him another try. He can do this. Um, Let's bring him. And so their intention uh, over this, um, this this disagreement. And there's some things that we don't really really know. I mean, you ask the question, who is right here? Was was. Was Barnabas right or was Paul right in his assessment of the situation? And it's interesting to me that Luke doesn't suggest really in any way which one is right. He just presents it to us. That's really interesting to me because it suggests that sometimes it's just like that. You you can both be pursuing right and good and and true things, and yet there's a disagreement that comes. Um, And we, we, uh, we don't know that. We can see both sides. And there's a lot of other things we don't know. Like, we don't know, did they, was their fight, was their disagreement a sinful disagreement? In other words, did they sin, you know, and I think sometimes we make the assumption that they did. And I don't know if they did or they didn't. It says they had a sharp disagreement. Now, that's a strong word, and it usually entails some sort of anger being present. But we don't really know if they sinned in their anger or if they just had a sharp disagreement. They just really were going at it, and it was an argument. 
that um, they felt very strongly about. We don't know if they came to a place where maybe they agreed to disagree, and, and then they went off amicably. They were like, okay, we're just going to agree to disagree. We're going to each go and do our own thing. We don't, we don't know if that happened or didn't happen. And we don't know what happened after uh, this incident. And some commentators will say, well, from here on, we don't ever hear Paul and Barnabas being together again. Well, that's possible, but that's also kind of an argument from silence, right? We, we don't know if, if they had a problem ongoingly or, or not. Um, so, so just a lot we don't know about this, which is one of the things I love about Luke and so many of the New Testament writers. They just, they really deal with the facts of the situation. And they give us, you know, what we, what, what's true. And then we kind of, even though that can be more mysterious because there's gaps then we have to grapple with that. And so I'm not going to try to wrap up all those loose ends because we don't know. There's a bunch of things that we just don't know about what happened in this incident. But what we can say is this, and I think this is why Luke has put these two parts of Acts 15 together, these two stories that go together, is sometimes like the beginning of Acts 15, you know, we go through the process and we come to a place where we, we, we come to an agreement and we all understand what, and, 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 and what to do next. Our modus vivendi, we come to that, and it works out. And, and when you look at the first part of the book of Acts, and that, of that Acts 15, and that, you know, the, there was a lots of joy because they came to an agreement, and they wrote a nice letter, and, you know, it was awesome. Everybody kind of knew how to deal with, with the situation, the disagreement that they had. And sometimes it's like that. We, we communicate well, as we talked about last week. We go through that process of communicating, and, and we come to a, a, a modus vivendi that we're all excited about, a way of living together that we're all excited about. Sometimes life is like that, and praise God when it works out that way, right? Praise God when we get that opportunity. But sometimes it's like the second part of Acts 15, right, where the communication is not working to bring us to what we want, would want as our initial modus vivendi of, you would assume, them ministering together, right? Sometimes the communication, for whatever reason, we can't get there. Uh, and the modus vivendi that they end up coming up with is less than ideal, because I think we can affirm that separation in this case was not necessarily, from a human perspective, the preferred option, Okay. Separation from a human perspective would not have been what they would have, would have wanted, that they would have wanted to partner together in ministry. Again, back to those verses in John 17, you know, that we would be one and, and ministering together like that is an expression of oneness. Um, and, and then Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, which I already quoted to you. So, so that's like an underlying assumption that unity is good, unity is best. But sometimes it goes like this. And sometimes we just have to grieve the disagreement that we can't seem to resolve. And, and I'm going to talk here a little bit about, you know, how do we walk through this? That's what I want to do right now. But before I even do that, I, I just even want to give us an opportunity to maybe connect with the emotional side of disagreement. We talked about this last week that you know, our emotions can create a kind of a distortion field when we're trying to have healthy communication. 
and sort of twist and, and just make it so hard for us. And one of the ways that you deal with that is by acknowledging your emotions, acknowledging what's going on inside of you. And so as we're even sitting here talking about this, maybe there's relationships coming up in your mind and, and, and like you're thinking, oh, Pastor Andrew's talking to me, right? Well, I just want to tell you that every single one of us in this room has broken relationships, most likely. If you don't come up and talk with me afterwards, and I'd like to know you. Um, <laughs> because that's just, that's, this is the reality. And, and, and you know what? There's a part of that that, that is really hard. It's just really hard. And, and so I grieve with you in the loss that you've experienced, that I've experienced. I grieve with us in the loss uh, that comes from relationships that are, that are broken. So I don't want to skip past that. I mean, I don't know how to do that in a group like this. And maybe in your home groups, as you pray this week, you can have time to share. Sometimes you just need to share, like, this is what I'm really grieving the loss of right now. Um, and, and, and that's healthy and good. And that actually ends up being really important because if you don't do that, then that becomes, like, like I said, a distortion field as you're trying to communicate one to another and, and, and you don't realize this elephant's in the room, which is the emotional component. So having said that and not giving us a, a way to completely uh, grapple with that, just to call that out right here together, let me say a few things uh, about how we walk through disagreement. And so I've got a number of statements I'm going to make, and um, hopefully one or two of these will really hit you with what you're, where you are and what you're struggling with. First one I want to say is that God is still working. God is still working. We go back. There's a lot of mystery around the workings of God in the world. And, you know, terrible things, difficult things happen, and we can't see what God's actually doing. And that's just life a lot, a lot of the time. We just, you know, there's a lot of mystery. Maybe 10 years later you get to look back and see what God was doing. But in the moment, oftentimes you can't. And... I remind us in the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 2, when, when Peter is preaching, he says, he says this in Acts 2.23, and we'll put it up here. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Two things about that. If you're a visitor today, this is the gospel, okay? That our sin put Jesus on the cross and Jesus went to the cross to atone for our sin so that we could be reconciled to our Heavenly Father, okay? And we receive that, that, that gift of grace from God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so if you're visiting today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the center of it all. Everything that we talk about comes out of the act and the life of Jesus Christ. So you gotta, that's where I would encourage you to center in your thinking and your, your maybe beginning prayer around the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. That's my first point. The second point is this, is you see in this, in this verse how God can do something and we can do something that's even sinful, and yet it's still all part of his plan. It still all results in the, the, the fulfillment of his plan, Okay. And that's true in our relationships, and, 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 and we don't know what, Paul was, what God was accomplishing with Paul and Barnabas here. 
Um, but, but we know it wasn't outside of his realm of understanding. And another, another verse that really helps us with this is back in Genesis. Those of you who know the story of Joseph and his brothers threw him into the pit and then you know, he ended up in, in prison in Egypt and yada, yada, yada. Um, at the very end of that, when he meets his brothers again, he says to them, they're panicked because now he's a powerful man and they think he's going to, you know, just destroy them. And he says, as for you, he's talking to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so I just want to remind us that God works in mysterious ways and he works he works despite, he somehow weaves our sin and our brokenness and disagreements into his plan. And it's, it's, it's critical for us to remember that uh, in the midst of disagreement. So God is still working. And look for what God is doing. You know, um, maybe Paul and Barnabas uh, were going to accomplish more when they were uh, separated. So that's the next point if you want to put that up there. Maybe God, Paul and Barnabas were going to accomplish more when they were separated. And this was a way God had for them to, to separate and go do their own thing. Um, or maybe Mark really did have the capacity to become a servant of Christ with more impact. But he needed to be called out. He needed to be challenged at that moment. and Say, look, Mark, you're not ready yet for the big leagues because we're going to be talking about whippings and lashings and, you know, rods and, you know, it's going to be rough, shipwrecks. So you just, you know, and Mark, you know, sometimes there's a really important dynamic in community. Sometimes those hard moments are what call us up to greater faithfulness, right? So, so we don't know. I'm not saying that that's what was happening, because I don't know. But I can imagine that something like that was happening, that, that Mark was getting a little bit of a kick. Um, we need to keep perspective. I'm not sure when we, when sometimes when we, you read this text within a Christian community, you think, oh my gosh, it's so terrible what happened. I'm not sure they would have felt like this was the end of the world when they're dealing with, you know, 40 lashes, shipwrecks, beaten with rods, a little disagreement and separation, you know. I'm not sure it would have registered on the radar as much as some of these other things because they were so focused on the mission. Um, they could see the bigger picture, the big perspective. Not to sit, not to diminish. I mean, I'm sure it was unfortunate, but we do have to keep some of these things into perspective. Um, the, the next one, remember that it's not over yet. This is really, this is one that I always need because in the moment, I just can see like, you know, the cat catastrophizing side of me is like, oh no, it's all over. You know, this is never going to be healed. This is, it's permanently broken. And then I start thinking about all the implications of that. And, and before you know it, I'm 10 years down the road living a life that doesn't even exist in my head, right? And, and so important for us to remember that it's not over. And, and we have some, some information here that is helpful because Mark did step up. He did write the gospel of Mark. He did partner with Paul such that in 2 Timothy, we read this. This is towards the very end of Paul's ministry. He, he's, he's, he's in prison, you know, at the end of his life. He's given everything, and he says this. He says, Luke alone is with me. Poor Paul is by himself now. He says, get Mark. He's writing to Timothy. 
Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Somewhere in there, they worked it out. They, they figured it out. And there was grace and, and partnership. The next one is be patient, and it kind of goes with this one. Sometimes the resolution is not ripe yet. You hear this? Sometimes the, res, it's, the circumstance isn't ripe yet for a resolution to the broken relationship. And I've just come to experience and accept that, that, that that's okay sometimes. And to be able to live in that tension, to wait on the Holy Spirit to resolve it rather than to try to resolve it in the flesh. I'm so anxious for this tension to be over with that I will press beyond what is helpful in the moment. And I'm doing it in the flesh at that point. I'm not doing it by the Spirit. But what that requires, to wait on the Holy Spirit, requires that I live in the tension longer than is comfortable for me. I don't like that part. I don't like that part. But that's the reality. Um, now, it's not to go on and say, oh, we'll just wait. You know, we, we should be eagerly praying and seeking and doing the work to bring this thing to resolution but we, we don't want to get ahead of the Holy Spirit in that. Remember that God is in control. Again, the sovereignty of God, this sort of is like the first one, that God's still working. But the reason I bring this out as a separate one is the, the theology of the sovereignty of God, okay, that, that God is superintending the world, um, reminds us that as awful as this moment seems, right, it's not everything. And it's not outside of the realm of God's control and God's power, okay? As hard as this moment might be. So we don't need to panic. We don't need to panic in the midst of the tension. And then lastly, remember grace. And there's several threads that we can pull out of grace in this light. We've, we've talked about grace all throughout, about creating an environment of grace so that when we have, when we try to lean in and, and, and agree and, and we can't lean in all the way, grace covers the gap, you know. Grace is so important in all this, so there's that element of grace. There's remembering how the Lord has forgiven us of our shortcomings, of our sins, of our failures in relationships. That's so important because... Um, it gives us the ability to be patient with the person that we're trying to relate with, right? If we know that, yeah, oh yeah, God's been really slow moving. He's been so long suffering with me. And I stand before you, I marvel at times with how long suffering the Lord has been with me in my own failures around all these things and in many other areas of my life. So, so could that maybe strengthen me to be long-suffering with hard relationships that are in my life? And then here, this is the really, this is the sweet one for me. In this grace, this is still under the heading of grace, is to understand that this conflict you're having is... Going, if, if, you, if you respond 
with faith, if you respond with faith, then this is going to bring you into a closer walk with Jesus. Because the tension and the grief and the frustration, you can't solve all that in your own strength. You can't solve it on your own. You need God. And so when we enter into these moments with faith, then what happens is they, these difficulties end up being used to press us into deeper relationship with Jesus because we have to draw on Jesus' strength to meet the challenge that we're facing. We have to look deeper in the Scripture to find out what the solutions are and the principles are that guide our solutions. We have to wait in mystery and draw on the strength of the Lord to meet this challenge that's in front of us. And so, as we finish this morning, and you come to the communion table, what I'd like you to think about, and we did this last Sunday as well, but is um, to think about maybe one or the two, two relationships in your life right now that feel difficult. And as you come to the communion table, I want to invite you to just allow this challenge to push you into deeper relationship with Jesus. That's all. That's the application here. It's just to say, you know what, God? I'm going to come to you with this. And then come to the table, which is a great symbol of you coming to Jesus, holding the tension holding the loss, holding the grief, holding the suffering, but bringing it to the table and saying, God, would you work in and through this mess? I can't solve it. I need you.